You're listening to Rosie on the House. <laughs> yeah. I hope you're bringing some more gas for that chainsaw, Mr. Eisenhower. <laughs> we got some storm damage cleanup to cover today. Good morning. You are tuned in to Rosie on the House second Saturday of the month. So we're talking trees with Mr. John Eisenhower of Integrity Tree Service. If you have a question, we'd like to talk to John about your tree situation. One triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight Rosie for you. John looks a little tired this morning. You can text <laughs> to four one one nine two three, or you can email info at rosieonthehouse dot com. I definitely have never seen his beard that long. <laughs> I know it's. Been a, we actually had a chainsaw running at about six fifteen this morning. I thought, oh well. There was actually a rooster crowing real, real close by. I thought, well, hey, the roosters already woke everybody up. But people have to understand this time of year when tree services start firing up their equipment this early in the morning is to try to beat the heat because we've had we are digging our way out of a lot of uh, tough situations. People with big trees down all over town, and yeah, we were out this morning early. I was uh, trying well, and, to dig- and even just keeping up with customer workload. I'm sure. Yeah, well, with the uh, added trees down all over town, it's just been we're our guys are working a lot of overtime. We'll be doing several more weekends this summer. But yeah, we were digging out a big root ball this morning. I had to go home and jump in the swimming pool just to. Yeah, I, I had my boots are all muddy, so I had to come in and get all cleaned up to get into the radio station here. I almost came, I almost drug in here, but I didn't want to track mud into that building. So, no, it's been a, a, a busy, uh, busy couple of weeks. Um, I heard that heard you guys referring to this big storm. This this was a big storm. And when I say big, it wasn't just the intensity of the storm, which was pretty intense, big, you know, 70-mile straight-line winds. That's what does it. it it's those, it's those, you know, the microbursts uh, bring a little more um, vicious uh, wind, but it's local. It's usually in quarter, mi- quarter mile, maybe half mile area where you get this downdraft and the, the, the real strong winds. But it's brief in duration, but it can be pretty, um, pretty, uh, uh, pretty heavy winds. This, these straight line winds that, that that come into an area like the ones we had a week or so ago, they were, they were across the entire city. We had calls from Santan Valley. We had calls from Anthem. We had calls from Goodyear. We had calls from Litchfield. We had calls from Sun City West, all the way down to Av- Avondale and, and and further, and then into Buckeye. So this was a massive <laughs> storm in terms of the, 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 the geography of it. It went across this entire metro uh, area and took out a lot, of, a lot of trees. This is strange because three weeks ago, four weeks ago, we had a pretty significant <laughs> storm, if you remember. They rated it one of the biggest ever. Well, I keep thinking that there aren't any more trees that are vulnerable. You know, I keep thinking that, okay. That first one got them all. Yeah, it's almost like a scouring effect where a, a, a storm blows through an area and you think it's taken out all the weakest trees, the ones that are, are vulnerable. And then you think, okay, well, we're good for a year or so before any more trees go down. But then this last storm, just on the heels of the one before, which was pretty, pretty bad, uh, took out a lot of other trees. It occurs to me that some of the, the reason for that is that these storms can come in from different directions. So if they come in from the south, it takes out all the trees that are vulnerable from a wind from the south, ones that have that exposure. This last wind came in from the north, 
everything, all the trees we saw that, that went down in this last storm blew from the north to the south. So maybe the vulnerability for all, you know, there's a whole set of trees across the valley that weren't affected by the south southerly winds, but then are, are vulnerable to, to northerly winds. So we've had, um, it's uh, pretty bad. Still across town, like you said, at the Shade Conference, there were still trees down. <laughs> we have customers who, uh, God bless them, have, have, have been patient because we had to triage the calls. We had 25 calls before 8 o'clock on Monday night. The storm hit Monday, and we had calls rolling in. And then on, 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 on Tuesday, the phones simply rang off the hook for the next three or four days. And all we could do was triage the requests and, and, and try to dig people out who couldn't get into their homes or had their cars. Got to prioritize. Cars What's... were underburied. And um, so we still have a lot of trees and stumps um, that we we went around to a lot of the customers and just took um, the trees away from the home so they could get into their house or Gosh. get out from under uh, branches or, 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 or trees on neighbors' homes. Um, and then we and then we just sometimes just stacked the brush and and got them where they could their uh, could live around their home, and then we just have to schedule them to go back to finish the projects. But it's been a, um, a around the clock um, uh, circus in many ways. I've got got a great staff and um, gonna have to think of something special to do for our office team, especially yeah. because they not our workers are just working their their um, behinds off out there. Um, but our office team too is just—it's uh, been pretty stressful trying to. Would this be a good time for uh, somebody to get a big truckload of chips, wood chips? Sure. Yeah. Well, we have a, I have a waiting list of people who, who want. If you want wood chips, I was chips, just saying. I know you've had a waiting list. Are a, you going to be able to catch that waiting list well, up? <laughs> we do the best we can because it has to be convenient for us. You know, it sometimes it's it's it's. Uh, easier for us to get to the uh, landfill so we can move on and get that truck empty. Mm-hmm. And if we have to coordinate it with a, uh, a, a residential uh, chip dump, um, sometimes it's more time-consuming than it's mm-hmm. of value to us. The chips are free, but if you can catch us, what we try to do is we coordinate those dr- those dumps when we're in your area. So you just put in a request, and then we try to um, uh, try to organize it. If and hopefully it can be dumped when you're not around and, and you kind of designate a location and we can just go and d- dump the chips and go. Can I just pull my pickup truck in front of the chute <laughs> from the chips? <laughs> We've and actually stay done there that. for a few minutes sure. and then haul out when we've you actually done it? that. We have customers who say, Can you just um, point the chipper down onto the ground in that area and just and just shoot us chips for a half hour, 45 minutes? And we absolutely we love to leave chips on site. There are certain jobs where we can actually do that, where we don't even have to chip them into the back of the truck. We just scatter them into the into the surrounding area. If you've got an area with a lot of dust, a lot of loose soil, and and you can and you can do that, those chips can be spread over the um, the desert surface and uh, be a great organic um, amendment to the soil over the years as they break down. I'd love to get a couple <clears throat> big loads of chips. Are orchard is full of horse manure spread on the mm-hmm. surface and i love to add the chips and then just take the disc and mulch it go. all together with all this great rain we've got right now and perfect just let yeah. it all start decomposing and doing its magic yeah i just speaking of of, of uh leaves and debris we have a um uh, i need to get home i heard someone <laughs> mentioned uh, doing some work when they got home today i have a 
uh, some pine trees that have, it, when the storms come, those pines, it, it shakes every dead leaf out, every dead needle out of the pines. We just have a buildup of pine needles. And I've got like seven Aleppos at our house. And so it's just oh. a, a buckets and buckets oh. and buckets of uh, needles. But anyway, I need to get up and clear, clean my gutters out. If you, this is a great time to get up there to, um, to get on your roof and to just check your scuppers, make sure they're not full of leaves. Because when the, the rains come and you've got flat roof, um, those leaves can collect at the scuppers and then it backs up and you have a lake on the top of your house. So this is a good time to, um, if you're thinking about it this morning, well, there's a little, little bit of cloud cover yet and it's uh, cool enough to get up on the roof. Uh, just take a quick walk around, uh, clean the scuppers out, make sure you release that water, get it down the, the down drain and, um, and don't throw away all those leaves. I love to get a, a nice pair of leather gloves because you don't want to get your hands cut. And I reach into the gutter and scoop up all that 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 bit of silt and 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 uh, dust and and all those needles and you can it makes the best compost. If it's been sitting there in your gutters also for a few weeks, it's already or months, <laughs> it's already started composting. So that that's the best compost starter you'll ever have is the stuff you can collect off your roof that's been sitting around for a while because half the composting has already happened. So collect this is a good time to do it while it's still wet. Pull it together, put it in a. I usually just carry a a regular 30-gallon uh, 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 trash can up there with me and collect all that. And then every now and then I'll dump it. If it gets too full, I'll just dump it at a, over the edge of the roof into a spot on the ground, then I'll, I'll pick it up later. We have we live in Phoenix, so we have Phoenix Services, and uh, they we're part of their recycle program. So we have the, um, the, the, the black bin for our trash, the, the blue bin for the recycling, but we also have a, a brown bin for our our horticultural clippings, mm. and it's a pilot program. hasn't gone across the whole city yet. Um, I think they're going to pretty soon make it a, a standard deal. But we have the uh, ability to put out our, our clippings too uh, into a, the regular uh, weekly pickup, and uh, I'll, I, I like to do that too. Set that can out and fill it up with all those those uh, uh, st- stuff off the roof. If I've overflowed my compost piles i've got like about seven compost piles around my yard in different places one close to our kitchen so we can put the kitchen scraps out then i got several out back so we can put our grass clippings and some other stuff in there and then i've got a tumbler one and i got i i i think i might have mentioned in the past i i have a couple of old horse troughs that i found on the side of the road someone was throwing them out at the city pickup and the bottoms were rusted out and it's a perfect for a compost bin because the top part of it is galvanized and it's beautiful. It's only about two and a, two feet tall, three feet, maybe two and a half feet tall. And it's solid as can be with galvanized metal, but the bottom's rusted out. So I, I even made the bottom even more perforated. I punched a b- bunch of holes in it with a pry bar. And now I just put my compost in there um, and all my leaves and, and, and trimmings. And it makes a real easy compost pile to turn with a pitchfork. Or, and uh, it's if you can have a little compost pile like that around your house, you can take all that stuff off your roof, all the stuff out of your gutters, all your your clippings, and and make some of the best compost and return that back into the soil around your trees and shrubs, and you'll have happy plants. We're talking trees with John Eisenhower of Integrity Tree Service. We have a number of calls in, uh, obviously related to the storm damage, and I think we should probably spend a few minutes talking about uh, you know assessing whether the tree just you know, finish what the wind started and bring it down or mm-hmm. how to maybe guy wire, restake it and determine this is worth saving and how to save it. But we also have the tree of the month. What's our tree? 
Our tree of the month is the desert fern or the Lysoloma thornberry. Okay. You want to, it's an awesome tree. We'll talk about it. Right. And we'll, we'll, we'll cover the tree of the month after this segment. Then after the news, we'll get into uh, storm damage repair. There you go. The expert that's brave enough to say the word deciduous. Talking trees with John Eisenhower. Rosie on the house. You know, if you're doing cleanup, I know the perfect glove for the, you know, picking up around the house. It's on the e-store at rosieonthehouse.com. The Thorn Armor oh. gloves. Those were a big hit at Shade yesterday. Oh, man, I tell you, I, I love mine. I've got these torch cactuses with the real fine needles. I can just trim, dispose. They're fantastic. Mm. We did have a one person in Tucson that was saying that, that it doesn't protect enough in between their fingers. Uh, they were messing with, like, preparing prickly pear jelly. I mean, that... That's not exactly what these are for. They're no. more puncture proof for the palms. So if you're trimming uh, a, your thorn natives, ebony's, palo verdes, mm. uh, mesquites, they mesquites. work great for that. Um, if you're working with cleaning up uh, agaves, you know, they get a lot of those shoots, so you just rip right in there with your hand and grab it out. But prickly pear and, and choya, there's so many little fine needles. You, you, yeah, those could find a way in there. Cradle them with your palms, folks. <laughs> Take it from me. The thorn, thorn armor puncture proof, puncture proof gloves, at the Rosie on the House e store. Great application. Thank you, Gary. Desert fern. Well, it's it's one of our Arizona native trees. Um, it's you know it it grows. It's naturalized here in the desert. It's native to to Mexico. It's a great tree. Um, in defense of native trees as opposed to non-natives, you'll always have more success growing them, maintaining them, uh, because they have fewer natural problems. They're adapted to our soil conditions, adapted to our temperature, and you just have fewer issues with them. They tend to grow more shrub-like, closer to the to the ground. They're not going to get as tall and leggy uh, as most of our desert trees are, are, are more shrub-like in appearance and profile. It's a beautiful tree. Uh, it uh, doesn't have any thorns. Uh, it sometimes can be deciduous in a very in a colder winter. You might have a brief time of uh, losing its leaves. Uh, it's a little bit high litter, um, in, in, so I wouldn't put one of these around a pool because they have these little half-inch diameter puffball uh, yellow flowers in the spring. If you got room for them, they're pretty cool. Um, I, I like them a lot. It's one of my favorite trees. They're multi-trunk generally, so they have a, a beautiful architectural um, uh, contribution to the landscape, and you can't go wrong with a, a with a Lysoloma. A, it's referred to as a desert fern uh, because they have a fern-like leaf that's very elegant and 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 beautiful. Uh, they uh, just a, that's our tree of the month, and uh, the uh, yeah, I love them a lot. There's one of my go-to trees. They're kind of slow growing, max out at about 20 feet of height. So don't expect this one to grow like a Palo Verde or one of the hybrid mesquites. It's going to be a lot slower getting established, but you won't be disappointed if you want uh, that tree that's not going to be a, um, you don't want to have a tiger by the tail after two or three years having one of those very uh, aggressive, aggressively growing uh, other trees that's going to out, possibly outgrow its landscape. Uh, original landscape purpose or its location, uh, Lysolome would be a good choice. 
one triple eight seven six seven four three four eight. That's one triple eight Rosie for you. If you'd like to join the conversation, text to four one one nine two three, or you can email to info at rosieonthehouse.com. And during the break, I need to show you this picture of this Palo Verde tree. Uh, we got one that a listener sent in that's a little torn up. Another texture said that they heard in Sun City Grand alone there was eight hundred common area trees down. Yeah. 800. Well, in in driving around town over the last week, and I've done more driving uh, in the last two weeks than I have in, in, no, seriously, in any two-week period uh, in the last year or so, uh, just crisscrossing town trying to uh, relieve some of the pressure off of my uh, sales team who are just, you know, backed up uh, quite a bit. And they you can't drive down any of the major arteries across town without seeing trees down everywhere. And they're not getting picked up because the, the, the municipalities are overwhelmed. Um, I just saw um, a, a, a large commercial landscape company with a crew out this morning. I mean, everybody's um, working overtime to try to uh, dig out from under this massive storm. And uh, some of the communities still don't have power. We have, we've had several of our customers this week who still don't have power from uh, a while back, they're all living in motels. You know, the insurance companies are putting them up while they try to get them uh, unburied. We had the longest power outage uh, two weeks ago that I, we've had. Gosh, probably I, I think as long as I've ever lived in Whitman. Well, it, we it was a couple hours long, and uh, yeah, back to back to the New River days, power outage style. We had the kerosene lanterns down and lit in a couple different rooms we were playing cards by the firelight it was it was almost a disappointment when the power came back on (laughs) it's only for a couple hours it can be fun man some of our customers are really really hurting in fact we love the this monsoon cycle and most of us who've lived here in the valley uh, love it when we start getting these uh, thunderstorms that roll in in the afternoons and get the lightning show and but uh when it turns uh turns bad uh, I just feel so badly for uh, so many of our customers who lost uh, significant uh, large trees. And it's just to see these, you know, uh, beautiful trees that were have been in there 40, 50, 60 years, a few of them that are just now gone. And they, uh, one of them just, you know, we completely crushed a home. The, the mm. family's very fortunate to, that someone wasn't hurt or killed because they just got out the front door. You know, just in time as it crushed the entire home. So there, um, uh, yeah, there's some big trees down. We'll talk about it, uh, trying to decide if your tree is salvageable or if it's time to chip it and compost it and help it give life to a new tree. (laughs) Some grow nuts, some grow leaves. Either way you look at it, we're talking trees with John Eisenhower (laughs) on Rosie on the House. And we do have Bob online who's got a sad look at pecan tree. But before we get to him, John, what what are we looking at when we pull up to a home and it's tree damage from the storm? I mean, does it take a full assessment or are there two or three quick little cheats you can use that says, nope, this one's gone, got to come out? Well, yeah, we get a lot of calls and had had several this week where uh, our customers asked us to come out and assess whether a tree could be saved or not. And we, we do our best to try to save save trees. We try to determine uh, what 
if the root system is still intact. Sometimes the root system is so compromised uh, and there's, you know, we can see where the tree's lifted out of the soil that there's major roots that are broken off of the root ball. It's going to be difficult for that tree, one, to, to, to uh, anchor again on that side of the tree or for those, you know, there's, there's a loss of those roots, um, which is, you know, supplying the tree with water and nutrients. So the tree's going to, in those cases, usually is best to, uh, to take it out and, and replant I mean, and put another tree in. Don't there, limp it along for three years. Replace yeah, and, it, and three again, years later, you'll be that far down the road sure. with your next tree. We had one uh, um, customer that lost a big mesquite tree, and it fell over on its side, but it had so many low branches that it didn't really tear the— didn't fall all the way to the ground. It kind of just tipped over. The roots came out of the ground, and it provides kind of a— it was right near their, their chicken coop. And so the my recommendation was just to uh, mound soil back up over the, the portion of the roots that were uprooted because there, there, weren't, there weren't any that were broken that we could see. And just kind of build a mound up where the uh, uh, where those roots had like had come up out of the soil to kind of keep them under um, you know, keep them from drying out, and then kind of just retrim you know retrim the tree. It's going to be tipped over, but I also asked, uh, suggested that to a, another customer of ours who has a big Palo Verde that went down. With Palo Verdes, it, you have to also look carefully to see if the Palo Verde borers are responsible for having eaten the roots. Uh, which destabilized the tree and it went down. Because if, if you have a, a, a Palo Verde that uh, basically has a decimated root system because of Palo Verde bores, of course, that's not going to be worth keeping. Other trees, it, it just depends on the size. Smaller this, the tree, the easier it is to salvage and to uh, get them re, re, reestablished. Uh, I, I went out to a customer's last night late and, and actually installed what's called a duckbill system and it's an, uh, a system of, of some uh, cables, wire cables, and, and anchors that you put into the soil. And then you attach those to the tree. And we brought it back up a little more upright and then set those anchors in the ground. And they really wanted to keep the tree. And it hadn't come out of the ground. It had just leaned over. And so they were just trying to, uh, uh, to save it. So we, we, we do that from time to time. There's some very good anchoring systems uh, some available uh, at your local hardware store. Uh, you can shop around. There's some larger ones that are only commercially available when you have a larger tree that you're trying to save. Uh, these uh, du- they're called duckbill systems are um, are are pretty uh, are pretty cool because they give you the ability to um, uh, anchor a larger tree uh, rather than just putting a wooden stake in the ground and tying it to the stake. As you get larger, those wooden stakes just won't hold up under the wind. So these uh, um, steel cables that you drive into the ground uh, with this anchor are, are really your best bet. If is, there, is there any give to that at all? Well, they have a turnbuckle on them, which so you can kind of adjust the tension on those. And the uh, no, they're a pretty rigid system. In fact, that's one of the drawbacks is you can have a— uh, uh, they're, they're, you have to almost consign the tree to be on that staking system forever. And a texture want to know, is there any risk of damaging a root as you're driving stakes into the ground around the tree to yeah, support and, it? Yeah, and you really should blue stake before you do this. You shouldn't be driving stakes into the ground um, without having blue staked first because there could be a gas line. And because these, these duck well, What bills, about the, the, the tree root itself? Could you yeah, use? sure. I, w- I wouldn't be so concerned about that because it's going to be a minor damage if there's any damage at all. Um, but you're m- more concerned about utilities 
And because you're driving that drive bar and that anchor down into the soil three, sometimes four feet deep, you could hit any of um, several different utilities. And so we, we blue stake before we uh, do our, our duck bill systems. Uh, the, uh, How do you do that at a 9 o'clock evening house call? <laughs> well, those are emergencies, and you ask the customer. In fact, they had a gas Sign line. This waiver? <laughs> they had a gas line last night that went right but, you know, past the tree, and they just had it serviced. So they knew the footprint where it was. Uh-huh. So we just, you want to go very, very carefully when you're digging. In fact, when we hit resistance too, when we're doing any kind of underground work. Stop. <laughs> well, yeah, especially when putting duck bills in, because you can just move over six inches, and then you, then you get, uh, you have to find, it could be a piece of construction debris, could be a rock, could be a root. So you just want to move over a little bit, and then you can push it down a little bit further. There's a really cool product, though, that's, if you have a very large tree that is almost too big for a duckbill system, you can use an earth anchor, and it's a huge eye bolt with a spade on the bottom of it that you turn into the soil. It has a helical uh, um, spade on the bottom of it, and you can turn those into the soil like an auger, and you, they, they come in all various sizes. You can get ones that are four or five feet long and a three-quarter inch uh, diameter um, rod. And those put in place can actually hold a pretty significant tree. We pulled a tree one time, dropped a couple of those into the ground, deep in five feet into the ground, and we put a, a cable on, and we winched a, a tree away from a house because it had been leaning on a carport. So we actually were able to pull a large tree up and uh, with a come-along and, and, then, and then anchor it so that they could uh, it wouldn't cause any further structural damage to the home. So those anchors can be pretty big and 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 uh, uh, and hold a, a pretty large tree, something you know, ten ten inch diameter and larger. So those are possibilities out there. They're not we don't do them every day, but if you got one of those high value trees and you you want to take the time to install a tree support system, there is the hardware out there and the engineering skill with a, a good arborist who knows how to use the, these materials. Uh, we can do some pretty creative stuff. Very good. Well, shall we get to Bob? Got a sad look at pecan tree. We can't lose any of those. Yeah. What do you got for us, Bob? Hi. Um, okay, this is my sister's tree. I told her I'd call you guys if you when you're on next. And uh, her pecan tree, the leaves just started browning up on it. She's got, it's on the west side of her yard, so it's in a great place for shade in the afternoon. But she has no mulch underneath it. And I don't think they spend a lot of time watering it. And there is a shed that's pretty close to it that keeps the ground from getting wet with the rain or anything. And they usually just go online and figure out their problems like that. I think they went out and bought, is it called zinc chromate that they use on uh, pecan trees? Yeah, they do require some zinc. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't suspect it's a nutritional issue, but it, 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 it could be. I'd have to, you know, kind of check those symptoms on the leaves. If you wanted to send in a photo or two uh, to, to, to us or to your local arborist, uh, it always helps if you're looking to try to uh, diagnose a, a, a nutrient deficiency by uh, leaf symptoms. We definitely need to see a photo. But this time of year, it very well could be a, a watering issue. How old is the tree? How large a diameter is the trunk? I'm. It's uh, probably 12 inches in diameter, and it's probably about 40, a little over 40 years old. 
Wow. Yeah. Well, pecans are. It, it, was it planted or was it an, an old orchard tree that they built around? No, no, it was planted. It was. It, they replaced an elm tree with a pecan tree when the elm tree got old and yeah. died. Well, pecans are, are are particularly thirsty trees. They have a, a very high water requirement, and they need deep soaking. Uh, so if there's any way you can deliver some uh, good deep water to that tree down to probably a, a four to five foot depth would be ideal, uh, you'll be sure to get every uh, every bit of that root ball um, watered at every irrigation cycle. Uh, so it, they, they need the water and then just stick a rod in there about four feet to to see how deep they're watering? Yeah, exactly. You need, you'll need you need to use a, like a four-foot soil probe will get you down to about 48 inches. That would be great. Uh, and it, the only way you can do that is to is to slow water and just uh, if you have to put a hose out or even, even a soaker hose is a great, great way to deliver that water and just put it on slowly. Um, we just open our, our spigot up just very, very slightly with our garden hose attached to the soaker hose then the soaker hose covers the root zone of uh, several of our trees, and we just leave it on overnight. And we'll sometimes give eight or 10, 12 hours of, 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 of soaking. Then you can take that soil probe out there and push it into the soil to kind of see how deep you're getting. But pecan trees are notorious for, um, not notorious, but they are known to be very thirsty trees needing deep watering. And, and this time of year, it's not that unusual if you have a little bit of br- leaf browning. You know, it's, it, this, this was a, way, a very, very intense summer. So, you know, if the tree might just have to cycle through some of those old leaves, and hopefully they'll uh, be replaced as soon as the, the weather kind of cools down. And just to give you some numbers, I had a tree nut tell me once, that a pecan tree, <laughs> you like that? I, do, I like that. I stole it from Gary's copywriting at the beginning <laughs> of the segment. I don't know if you heard it. Yeah. <laughs> um, a pecan tree needs 10 gallons of water per day per year of its life. So, Bob, I just did the numbers for you for your sister. If that's a 40-year-old right. tree and you water it once a week, that weekly watering, it needs 2,800 gallons of water. Now, that's a commercial production, obviously, if we're not growing pecans off of it and it's not in agriculture, you don't need that much. But for commercial production, that's how much water they're dumping on those pecan trees. And if I understand right, the zinc isn't really, if it's for aesthetics, you don't need to worry about the zinc. That's just to get the flavor on the pecan fruit itself. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think they just read it online and they ran and got that. And I said, well, you guys should talk to either my brother who's an arborist or talk to an arborist here in town. Where are you and located? What part of town? And how about putting mulch on the ground around the base of the tree? It's just got bare dirt down there. Yeah, it's, that's obvious. Yeah, that's a, that's a no-brainer. Sure, that always helps. It helps to retain moisture and, and encourages nitrogen cycling and some nutrient cycling. Sure, it's going to be uh, much better to have a little bit of mulch there. Um, well, part, I, I appreciate your guys' information. Uh, my pecan tree is doing wonderful, and it's surrounded by grass and privets, and it gets a lot of water when I water my grass. And my what part privets. of town are you in? Uh, in Tucson, it's in the, the northwest side. We're over where the old uh, cotton fields used to be. Okay. Between well, off of I-10 by Prince Road. Yeah, good. So we have really good dirt here. Really good soil. Yeah, it sounds like it. Yeah. Well, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Um, thanks for your information, guys. Have a good day. You too. Who, who needs an arborist when you got the internet? 
<laughs> Don't say that. <laughs> no, there's nothing like having having an arborist on site who can who can walk around and and give you the the skinny on all your trees and shrubs. We love doing it too. We got a bunch of dedicated staff at Integrity Tree Service um, who who love to talk trees and 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 get down in the dirt and and kind of tell you what's going on in your yard if you. Need a, a good consulting arborist? Feel free to give us a shout. We'd love to to come and and help people kind of solve some of their their problems. His bark and bite, they're about the same. Talking trees with John Eisenhower, Rosie on the house. An interesting call uh, during the break, John, uh, Dan, and Buckeye. Hello, pretty interesting question. We were talking about staking trees and not making the guy wire so tight that the limbs can't move. It needs that sway in the wind to work out an exercise. He said, why don't they ever just put a big, thick spring in the middle of that cable? Well, it's been done. It's You can. You put a, like a, like those old those old door springs. Remember mm-hmm. the ones that, that would kind of go both ways, you know, kind of uh, a compression spring? We've tried those, you know, the, and the problem with trees that have fallen over that you're putting back up, you almost have to keep them rigid because they're, they're too big to put that kind of uh, flexibility in, in the system. You can leave a certain amount of flexibility in a young tree support system, and you need a little bit of movement in the tree to be able to eventually wean the tree off the system. You don't want it so rigid that the tree can't move. But when, you, when you're resetting a, a tree that's fallen over, you almost have to make it a rigid uh, system. Uh, and, and, and this is what I was saying at the end of that other segment was we sometimes have to consign the tree to be on that system permanently. And that's the, tra- that's the, 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 the thing you have to weigh. You know, do I want to have to put this tree on a permanent system? On life system? support. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, with a younger tree that will eventually get root, will get reestablished and the roots will grow, you know, grow back into the native soil. You can pull, you know, wean a lot of those off the, um, uh, a, uh, a cabling system uh, down the road. But the larger the tree is and the larger the restoration project, the more likely it is that that tree is going to be on some sort of a cable for, you know, the rest of the, you know, its life. So do you want that cable in your yard? Do you want that anchor system in place forever? You know, do you want to have to be maintaining it? At some point, it might be a consideration just to take those larger trees down and not have that liability and go ahead and, and, and put the money toward uh, a, a tree replacement. But those are, you know, questions that a, a good experienced arborist can answer. Uh, somebody who's, you know, we've seen these trees in our experience over 30 years um, and seeing every conceivable type of, of system that's been installed. And then we live with those trees for many, many years and see which ones succeed and which ones don't. And and know, you know, would it be advisable even to go that direction? And those are, are questions that it, um, a, a good arborist will be able to help you answer. Now, I've got plenty of additional questions, but uh, we should take care of your talking points first. Well, I just had a, a, um, a comment regarding... Uh, what happens if you have a tree that you see is swaying in the wind? You know it's possibly going to fall down. This happened to a couple of our customers just this last week. And they ran out into the yard, took their pruning, their pole saw and their chainsaw and started to cut. 
knowing that it was, you know, either this or the tree is going to fall on my block wall and and do a lot serious damage. And all they could do was cut the lowest limbs on the tree. They cut whatever was the, w- within within reach. But what this does is it lion tails the tree. It, it's it's it, that fights against every. I mean, they did what they could because they couldn't climb and 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 take the risk of getting higher in the branches. But what it ends up doing is it pushes the fo- the force of the wind now is collected in the outer the top of the tree, and it's going to be even more vulnerable to uh, to to wind. Uh, those lower branches actually dampen the the force of the wind. They dis- distribute the force of the wind more evenly along the entire tree. So there's this kind of balancing act. You know, how do you go about doing this? Let me just say it in one word. If you have the p- ability to get out to the outer third of the canopy, get up in the top and make a few reduction cuts near the top, not heading cuts where you're just lo- lopping off branches um, at the very top, although that would be better than uh, removing significant lower branches. I wouldn't mind having someone make some heading cuts way out in the outer third of the canopy because those could be repaired. Uh, arborists could come back in a week or two later and make a, repair those more easily. You can't ever replace those lower limbs. So I got on a, a couple of job sites, and I just, you know, I, I was really sad to see that the owner in an effort to try to save the tree, had had removed all these significant low branches. And if they could have just gotten out into the outer third and done some pruning out there, that's where you really take the sail out of the tree, uh, reduce that that leverage uh, that's caused, um, that lever action uh, that's caused by those really heavy uh, pendulous branches way out on the outer extremities of the tree. That's what I did last night. In addition to that cabling job, I, I ju- got up in the tree and I just made several reduction cuts on the each of the branch structures, took one or two, um, you know, one to two inch diameter limbs out. And now the tree is a little bit smaller in, in overall size. Um, it's less apt to catch the wind over the top of their roof. Um, because once the tree gets the canopy gets up over the height of your roof, it's you know, it's going to catch that wind. So if you can bring that top down, it's uh, really the best way to, to prune a tree is to do some of that end weight reduction. If 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 your objective is reducing the risk of the tree blowing over, that's the 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 primary type of pruning cut we make. It's a reduction cut, not the elevating cuts from the bottom. And you use the rule of thumb never trim more than a third of the foliage off the tree uh in general pruning would you ever go more than that to save it from wind damage if you thought it needed it right and, and the ANSI standards when they when they stipulated that 25 percent rule that was a guideline and they said there are instances when it, it it might be required to to exceed that but you have to know the tree species the age the condition and of course in this case the you need to know if there's an objective is saving a tree and the option the alternative is to lose the tree entirely well i'll exceed the 25 percent every day <laughs> if 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 it means you know being able to save the tree for sure itreeservice.com if you've got additional questions for mr john eisenhower owner founder of integrity tree service serving the valley for 30 29 years 29 years almost to 30 yes itreeservice.com thank you mr eisenhower you bet take care